and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast all about new music. Created in partnership with BMW, this is Play Next. I'm Edith Bowman. I hope this finds you safe and well. And I am personally very excited to be launching this brilliant new show for you. Now, it's really simple. Each week, I'm going to play you a few carefully picked tracks from artists and bands who are just starting to break through. The only thing that's going to link the tracks that we play is that we think they're doing something new, pushing music forward a bit, and that I love them. I'm going to be having some fascinating conversations too. Some will be with artists, some will be with people who are doing interesting things that you might want to know about in the wider world of music. Coming up in this episode, I'll be talking to an artist I absolutely love called Willie J. Healy and sharing his latest track with you. I'll also be catching up with the legendary Giles Peterson to talk about the future of festivals. But you came here for some new music. So let me play you some. So first up, we have 22-year-old Jess Smith. She's an Irish singer and rapper based in West London who performs in English and Spanish. She goes by the name of Big Peg. This is the brilliant Don't Turn Around. Turn around by Big Pig. What a fantastic track. I can't stop listening to it. Something really magical and exciting about Jess. Already sounding so confident and accomplished, but I guess with a voice and songwriting like that, who wouldn't be? I can't wait to hear what comes next from Big Pig. 
Next up is a man whose music has been described as a living mix of eerie soul, alt-pop, hip-hop, post-punk and southern funk. I just like to say genreless. From Georgia via LA, his name is Terrell Hines and this is Balance. Come up with my plans. Just a bunch of lip service. I respect the demand. Got us all plugged in in this buried land. Everything is eroding. I hope you understand. Not really about the propaganda, but I see them dirty dancing. If you don't watch yourself, I promise you that they'll be pressing. The drill is very cool and they make it look romantic. If we base it off the facts, then the humans could be canceled. Humans could be canceled. Humans could be canceled. bonkers but brilliant uh, that made me feel how I did the first time I heard Crazy Bernard's Barclay it's got so many brilliant influences weaved into it 
thrown out something that I think is really fresh and catchy. I love it. Right, listen, one thing that I can promise you here on Play Next is that we're not going to stick to any one genre or style. If it's new, if it's doing something that makes it really stand out, and if we like it, it's in. And speaking of doing something different, here's Canadian indie pop producer Rich O'Coin, whose fourth album, United States, was written whilst he was cycling across America, raising money for mental health charities. Now, each track on the album was penned in a different state, with this next track, Civil, representing Tennessee. And I mean- when you fall in love When you got no time Will you free your mind You know you're not If you like that as much as me, Civil from Rich O'Coin, then you really should check out the entire album. It's a brilliant road trip record and such a wonderful story behind the creation of it. This is Play Next, brought to you in partnership with BMW with me, Edith Bowman. 
So that's how we're going to start off each week with me playing you three of the hottest, best, most exciting new releases. Now, as well as playing you some tunes, I'm going to have a natter with an artist every week. And my guest this week is someone I first came across when my friend Felix White emailed me to tell me I should have a listen to his work. So I picked up his new album, Twin Heavy, and to be honest, I haven't stopped listening to it since. I love it. It's brilliant when friends, people you trust, give you recommendations. It's one of my favourite ways to discover new music and film. And hopefully, maybe I can be that for you every week on this podcast. So back to the young man in question who once described himself as the next Paul McCartney. So not entirely lacking in confidence, but for now, he's happy to be known as Willie J. Healy. Hi, Willie J. Healy. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me on. Listen, can I say, first of all, massive congratulations on this new album. It's absolutely brilliant it's a beautiful perfect kind of like companion for the summer yeah I think things worked out with you know timing wise surprisingly <laughs> yeah when did you write it I've been kind of writing it for the past couple of years mm. I mean some of them I did about three months ago and we crammed them on and wow I, yeah others I did when I was uh, 22 so I'm 26 now been there yeah. in the background going what about me yeah big time <laughs> following up that debut record and then the EP and putting together a collection of songs, did you know what you wanted to make? Did you know what kind of record you wanted to make? Uh, among me and my friends, it's always a bit of a joke because I'm so disorganised with, like, life direction that I just really just write and write and write and write. And it wasn't until I met the producer, uh, Lauren Humphreys, uh, that's when we really honed in on on what a lot of these tracks sounded like and what they could potentially turn into. Because, um, you know, when I write, I could be really from one day to the next writing completely different types of songs. And then do you know, do you know what you want to write about? Yeah, sometimes. Like I, I often will, um, I will write little poems or I'll do this thing, which I'm sure lots of other people do, where I write song titles that I think are cool. So it'll be like um, Camaro, Sunset, 3am. And I'll try and kind of make those titles somehow cohesive. What's it about? Has the record got a... Because I I think of albums as stories or kind of books almost in a way. And you you have to listen to them from start to finish. It's not like you'd pick up a book and you'd read chapter two, then chapter eight, and then go back to chapter five. I think that... For me, albums are a thing that you have to kind of give the time to to listen to their entirety. And mm. I think for Twin Heavy, it's exactly that. Do you know what I mean? It takes you on a journey. You're almost waiting to turn the next page to hear the next track sort of thing as well. So is yeah. there a story? Is there a narrative to the whole album or are they all little individual? Is there a connection between all the tracks? They're kind of individual in some ways. For the first time as well, you know, I recorded them all in one go, basically. Almost like a cohesiveness between all the tracks sort of thing as well in a sort of sonic way. Yeah, and they're, they're all kind of bound by something, even if they're musically quite different. The fact that <laughs> yeah. we all did them in that room with, the, with that equipment and on that day instantly kind of connects them. Whereas in the past, you know, I haven't had that. I think that's what gives it that, that journey feel. And I do feel like if you just dipped into it, you'd probably think you were listening to a totally different type of album than the one that you're listening to. Are you an island? A little lonely? Sounds like Joanna. My one and 
when you listen to this record, but you also kind of watch you either live performances or in the videos, you're, you're so like, you just look at home at what you're doing. Was this always what you were intending to do or was there a previous life of, of Willie J. Healy? No, it wasn't really. I, it snuck up on me as a 17 year old. I kind of, that was when I made the big decision that I wanted to do music. But before that, I had done boxing for seven years from the age of 10 to 17. So I think to lots of my friends, it was probably quite a surprise, you know, that I ended up doing music. What encouraged um, you? What was the catalyst to make that commitment? It just got to the point where my boxing was suffering because I wasn't really invested in it anymore. And it was quite a funny uh, moment where I was doing my careers advice and I didn't, you know, but it was like, oh, I'm going to do boxing. I'm going to go and study sports science so I continue. I can continue to box. And the careers advice lady was obviously a bit baffled by by the fact that I had no other hobbies and no other interests. And she kind of was really like trying to get something out of me. She was like, there's nothing else you like. And uh, I said, oh, I really love um, playing guitar. And she was like, oh, would you not, would that not be something? I mean, obviously she she didn't really want me to be a boxer. She obviously thought I was way too sweet. And She was worried about you. Yeah, she was worried about <laughs> me. Clearly I didn't have it in me and she could kind of read read my body language. Amazing. And, and yeah, so she planted the seed really for me. Did you have a walkout tune? It was always really kind of corny. <laughs> I think I was probably always coming out to Eye of the Tiger or something, you know, like, which yeah. is quite funny because I looked like, you know, at that point in my life, I looked like Annie. I had all this like long curly hair and I'd be coming out to Eye of the, Eye of the Tiger and it was like a comedy show, you know. I could see like the punters kind of looking at me like, is this is he for real? <laughs> That's brilliant. How would you say, kind of going back to the, the first record though, how would you say or have you changed as an artist and a songwriter from that first album? I feel like I, I know myself a lot more than I did and I was almost like really defensive when I did that first one and, you know, not really open to anyone else's ideas because I thought that, you know, that was the really cliche thing, like don't listen to other people. You, know, you have to yeah. do what you want. Yeah. But this time around, I really did the opposite of that and was like, I want as many ideas as I possibly can from the people I trust. And, and why was Lauren the right person for the job with its record? You know, you look at his kind of back catalogue of... You know, everyone, and a real mix of stuff as well, like kind of like mm. Shadow Puppets and, and Florence and Tim Pala. Um, so why, why was he the right person to kind of work with you on this record? I, I think it's just very lucky that we, that we were put in touch. And, you know, it was such a rush. R Lauren was on tour and he had a couple of weeks off when he was asked to do it. And so I didn't get an opportunity to meet him beforehand. So it was quite intense and I was a bit worried, like... You know, what if actually we really don't get on? But as soon as I spoke to him, as soon as I spoke to him on the phone, I just knew that we were, we just got on straight away. And, you know, for someone like me, who's not that um, musically, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't, I don't know how to read music and I don't know how to write music. So sometimes trying to tell someone what your idea is, is really hard because it's like a different language. But with Lauren, our references are all so on point with each other that it was like, you could say, oh yeah, like that, I want it to be like, you know, George Harrison or to a lot of people that'd be so vague, but me and Lauren just love all of the same music. So instantly it was like we were speaking this language that was just really quick and to the point. Can we talk about a couple of specific tracks? And I want to talk about the videos as well, because you've always, 
you sound like you're having fun on the record. That's what it feels like. You know, the kind of fun kind of just just bursts out of the speakers and the headphones. When you watch the videos as well, you just kind of you can tell that you you do you enjoy that side of it because there's they're almost like little short films as well when you you when you make videos. Yeah, I do. I haven't always um, I haven't always looked forward to making videos. And like I remember when I started doing them, I'd be quite kind of nervous about it all. You know, being on camera and having to uh, in a way like act as well yeah. that's to me that's like I don't want to do I never ever want to do that <laughs> yeah. um, like if I can avoid that then great yeah. but I've been fortunate enough to have worked with um, directors for a couple of years now and, and we're getting to the point where I could kind of do anything and it feels like we're just hanging out Songs for Joanna, there's, there's, there, there doesn't seem to be any inhibitions there at all. It's like, you, you know, there's some amazing dancing going on there. Really, really <laughs> yeah. subtle but cheeky dancing. And it's uh, and that whole one take thing as well is just brilliant. You know, there's a food fight involved and it's like, oh, someone's yeah. going to have to clean that up and it's so we can do it again. I mean, what, how many times did you have to do it? It was a bit of a nightmare, actually. I think, <laughs> like, it's amazing that it seems so casual because... I was kind of getting a bit more stressed every time we had to do it because there's something really embarrassing about someone saying, all right, just, you know, what, like, just do whatever you want. And then like the fourth time round, you're doing exactly the same thing. And it's like, at first it seemed like, oh, he's just doing a silly dance. And then, you know, by the fourth take, they're like, that's just how he dances. <laughs> and it was, but I think, I think that was maybe the, we did it like, four times and we did it all on films which was actually good because it meant that we couldn't keep yeah doing it we had to yeah, kind yeah. Of stop because we ran out of film yeah because you're but. not christopher nolan it's like <laughs> no exactly <laughs> exactly and yeah i didn't have that many costumes to change into <laughs> or cake yeah <laughs> yeah the cake exactly and then true stereo where did you film that is it scotland yeah, it was a place called, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing this totally wrong, um, Loch, Loch Mare. I mean, you know, in terms of sort of extremes for, for your, you know, suffering for your art, that looked freezing. It was. It, I kind of, there were moments where I think we were all looking at each other kind of thinking, what are we doing here? <laughs> Who's the poor person who gets pulled through the snow as well by their feet? It's my friend Josh. I, feel, I still feel guilty about that because... <laughs> He's such a supportive friend and he was really up for coming for the fun of it. And yeah. I remember, because I had read the treatment for the video, so I knew what was coming next and he didn't mm. know. And yeah, it was just miserable and it was horrible <laughs> to have to ask him and act like, kind of like I didn't know. You know, oh, like, I think what they want me to do is to drag you. And I'm like nodding going, like, by your feet? No, by your wrists. And I could see him kind of like looking right through me, like, I know why I'm here now. But the worst <laughs> thing about all of it was is that he's like double the size of me. He's a really big... Oh my God, you had to pull him. Yeah, and I'm like five foot ten or something and half his weight, so I had to pull him. And it was really embarrassing because I just couldn't move him. I just couldn't move him, so it lasted a long time as well. It was an extended period of like being uncomfortable. Oh, brilliant. Oh, we can just sit back and enjoy it in the warmth of the summer <laughs> yeah. sun. You said at the start that you'd kind of written some tracks 
was it like a couple of months ago, sort of thing. So did some of the was were there were there tracks on the record that were written in lockdown then? Yeah, so just just before lockdown, really, um, we I went to uh, Lauren's place in New York to finish off some of the bits and bobs, you know, like just to tie everything up, and we had a, a couple of hours spare. So Lauren got all of his friends to the studio, and we ended up doing um, fashion. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and it just came together really quickly. And I had I'd written that song way after all of the, uh, the first um, recording session, and you know the pressure I suppose of writing an album is then off. And um, yeah, we had an opportunity to do it, and we did it in two takes or something, and oh. and it was done. So fashion was this last minute track then, but what what inspired it? It was really just tapping into. The, the type of conversation I've had many times where someone's trying to encourage you, but actually, you know, I can't end up feeling like they're so far from reality. And often the reality to, you know, putting music out and stuff at, at the level I am is that, you know, I'm, I can hear myself on Radio 6 while I'm working in the greengrocers in Bristol. And I, and I love that. And that's fine for me. But yeah, that was it really. Just that's that kind of statement of like, you're going to be really famous. <laughs> Thanks, Nan. <laughs> yeah, shots fired. Sorry, Nan. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I mean, you must be, I guess, kind of waiting in anticipation to, to working out how to play live. And because and, these tracks are just crying, this, this album's just crying out for it. Yeah, I, it is, a, you know, it's obviously a massive shame that nobody can tour and stuff. But I think it, it seems like an opportunity to rebuild and really pick the songs apart and do them justice as opposed to kind of rushing into a tour and figuring it out as we go along, which is what we usually end up doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to play them because, you know, in the past there'd be too many parts to really do live, but on this album, everything was done live really. So, you know, I was feeling quite smug before that, before our tour got cancelled, I was thinking this is going to be such a hoot. You know, all I've got to do is (laughs) we just have to do what we did on the recordings but um, yeah, I mean, I think you know everyone's in the same boat. And yeah, fingers crossed. It's it's, it's definitely got to happen. And um, listen, I think you've made a beautiful collection of songs with Twin Heavy, and I hope millions and millions of people will go and listen to it. I can't thank you enough for your time uh, today, Willie. Um, good luck with everything. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. Oh, thank you. Willie J. Healy, what an absolute pleasure to speak to him. What a nice guy. So here for you is his brand new track, Fashion.
That's fashion from Willie J. Healy. Hearing the story behind that track made me pay more attention to the lyrics. I do like it when you get an insight into the songwriting. Some artists are more willing than others to share those stories with you. Thankfully, Willie was gay. Lovely to chat to him and what an infectious personality he has. I felt like I'd known him for years. Right then, I've got an amazing track to play you in a bit from a new Dublin band called Pillow Queens. But first, we need to talk about standing in a field or not, as the case may be. Right now, you, me, thousands of people like us could have been gathering for the Boomtown Festival, getting ready to watch headliners like Kano, the Libertines and the Wu-Tang Clan. Last weekend, Skepta and the 1975 should have been playing Boardmasters in a week or two. We might have been at Creamfields or Reading or Leeds or at Southwest Four. You don't need me to tell you why those plans changed. But it has left me really missing the experience of being at a festival. And it's so strange not being sure what the future holds for something that I'm sure, like me, you've taken for granted for years now. Having played at countless festivals and hosting a few of his own, DJ and broadcaster Giles Peterson knows the festival circuit inside out. So who better to talk to about where we go from here and what the future holds for our beloved festivals? Giles Peterson, thank you for spending the time to uh, to come and chat to us today. It's always a pleasure, sir. Um, I, I feel like you're almost like a bit of a, an Obi-Wan of music for me because your recommendations of of music from around the world has, has historically for me always been a wonderful way of discovering new things. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, yeah. I'm uh, enjoying a little bit of uh, space and time. Um, off as I'm not doing as much DJing as I would normally be doing. And it's actually taken a few months of lockdown and that whole period for me to actually relax to the point that I'm yeah. reading, reading books again. I haven't read a book for for, for, for years. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's we, we've all been kind of forced into this situation where, you know, I would be kind of dotting around festivals this summer, kind of, you know, here and in Europe and and having a great time. And, you know, we've been forced kind of out of that experience because of this situation. But almost from for someone who has so many roles around festivals, you know, you go and DJ at them, you curate them and you create them. Mm. Are you are you looking at this um, opportunity to kind of take a breath and then, you know, sort of they almost get a break and you can look at what works and what doesn't work and what you can and want to do better or shift things around? Yeah, I mean... I keep saying I need to take a break and I've been given a break. <laughs> um, you know, I do fe- I do three festivals um, annually now. I do a festival which has been going for, it was actually its 15th year this year, was the festival I do in the south of France in a place called Set, called the Worldwide Festival. That was uh, end of June. And then I do a, a new festival in the UK, um, in Cambridgeshire called We Out Here Festival, which would be happening very soon, which we're going to be doing virtually this year. And I do another festival, um, every September, which would have been its third year this year. We might still be happening, actually. We're still waiting on certain Ooh, things. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but, um, it's called, uh, Ricci Festival. And that's a kind of, uh, food, wine and music sort of, weekender really mm-hmm. and each one of those festivals is at different stages in a way in their own career but i say all of them are really independent and so none of them rely on big funding or sponsorship so as a result actually they're all kind of self 
self-controlled and self-financed. And as a result, none of them um, are reliant on our, on others. So they all survive and they'll be back next year. Yeah. You know, the other good thing about the festivals, um, particularly we out here and the Worldwide Festival, is that we've got such a great loyal fan base that uh, even though we'd pretty much sold both of them out, well, we'd certainly sold out the one in France out, mm. um, the majority of the people who bought tickets have said, OK, don't worry, we'll come next year. So <laughs> we don't need to give you, you know, we, yeah. you know we're not relying on, on them or us, us to give their money back to them. So... You know, we've we've um, hopefully we've um, been able to survive this summer. I'm desperately hoping that that things will be back to normal next year. Have you missed it though? Because you know, I get so much from going to a festival. It's not mm. just about kind of you know, it's the social thing. It's about mm. seeing, meeting up with friends. It's about making new friends. It's about going to see some of your favourite bands, those artists that you've always wanted to see that on suddenly on a bill at a festival is your one opportunity to see them, but also discovering new stuff, you know, kind of innovative stuff and mm. and that thing of being introduced maybe to new artists that you maybe wouldn't have even kind of considered, And but there's something about that environment of a festival that really kind of entices you into to kind of alternative stuff or it takes you out of your comfort zone in a way. Yeah, I mean, I have a funny relationship with festivals as a as a dj because i tend to get quite scared when i when i can, when i yeah when i feel myself coming closer to the festival <laughs> site and i've got to go and pick up my passes and i can hear the thudding bass in the background as i <laughs> yeah. as i arrive and like, oh my god the I'm smell about, yeah the, the smell <laughs> i'm like so a bit of me is a bit always a little bit sort of nervous when i walk into a festival site because this sort of dj side of me and the thing about it is that you know performing as a dj at a festival or as a band at a festival um it's obviously really become quite important because it's become quite an important part of how music is sold or communicated to people who wouldn't otherwise know you so there's that extra little pressure that you need to sort of do a bigger job than normal I, i've always been a guy who tends to just like i'm a residency guy you know i'm a kind of person who decides to go to the same places weekly and build my scene and suddenly it's like no 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 this isn't about building this is there's going to be 80 percent of the people don't know who you are and this is your moment to really kind of sell it you know and there's that bit of me which is like i don't really want to be affected by that but it's there somewhere so the festival has become quite a an important place uh you know as a platform to sort of just be who you are as an artist so there's that added pressure but yeah to be honest with you you know festivals are incredible and i i just love particularly being able to spend a bit more time than just going in and out of a site as a dj because you're always going to discover something and in a way to make me more relaxed when i perform it's like when glastonbury used to when i used to go to glastonbury regularly i'd always come a couple of days before because it was kind of essential that i got into the spirit of the whole thing before i went up on stage there's nothing worse than really coming in from the outside and just knocking it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know you get the energy but it's really great when and you can kind of be part of that community and that happening. That's why festivals are so brilliant. Have they been a really good um, place for you to to discover or get the chance to watch a lot of artists that that you've championed live? 
Well, I mean, you know, again, that's one of the reasons that I put on the festivals that I put on. The reason I set up the Worldwide Festival in set was because I really wanted to hear all my favourite DJs. I mean, the, the, the festival that I really am gutted, I think, more than anything to be missing this year was the We Out Here Festival because... That was something for, for me as well. To put on a festival in the UK was quite a big deal because, yeah. because yeah, there's a lot of festivals. It's a very competitive world of festivals, and I wanted to find something that was going to work on a lot of levels. And um, it felt that there was certainly recently a, a great sort of renaissance of improvised music and jazz music and music world music in a way and I wanted to find a space for that but for that to fuse with club culture which is obviously another big part of where I'm coming from and uh, yeah that was last year's festival was just it was I mean to be honest with you I said to people at the end of it I said uh, my, my 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 kind of I've done it I've peaked in a way because for me it was like you know we had spiritual jazz we had emerging new UK groups you know from Koji Radical to the the Sons of Kemet to Gary mm -hmm. Bartz to you know it was just and and all the great DJs so we had people like Francois Kevorkian playing and and uh, you know people like uh, Floating Points and and so to get all of that into one thing was so brilliant and everybody was so thrilled at the end i really felt that it was an important part of the community and um, what's you, you said you're what you're hoping one of the festivals is um going to be a virtual festival what's that been like to to put on and come into the decision of what it's going to be and how you're going to do it so we're doing our virtual we out here festival on august the 20th for three consecutive days non-stop with four stages based in the UK but also we're going to be having live performances from both Philadelphia with the orchestra led by Mr Marshall Allen the Sunra Orchestra they still all live in the same house in Germantown on the outskirts of Philadelphia wow. and they're going to perform live for us this is a place that if ever you're in Philly you need to go and just see what's going on inside the Sunra household because of course Sunra has led the greatest jazz band of all time. So they're going to be performing. We're also going to take a trip to Melbourne and uh, do a little bit of a live broadcast from there where, of course, there is a brilliant scene going on in every every year. Well, so far, the last two years, we've had a lot of groups coming out from Melbourne. So we're going to be taking a piece of the Melbourne scene as part of the weekend. And we're also going to have things like the Dock and Roll stage, which is going to be showing different films great documentaries and um, this might be like the hardest question you've ever had to answer but what do you think the future of festivals is i think the future of festivals is 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 positive i think that you know like anything you know it's it's like um it's it's a it's it's it's, it's traumatic time for a lot of business whether it's restaurants or nightclubs or festivals and of course you know there's going to be there's going to be some sad, some very sad losses, but um, I think that, you know, we're going to pick up the pieces because we always do. And um, I just hope that what support has been prepared, mm. I hope that it doesn't all end up going to the Royal Opera House or some of those more traditional institutions and theatres. Of course, they all need the support, but sometimes the fringe gets lost and uh, forgotten about. And I think it must be reminded to the people that are actually going to be handing out some of this support that it's those fringes that have meant that 
this country has been really at the forefront of change within music and you know the, the festivals you know you know what there'll be a whole new energy that's going to come out of this and i think that um i think it's going to be incredible i can't wait to be on a field listening to someone playing some <laughs> 1993 drum and bass classic oh it's, it's the anticipation isn't it like I might self-combust on the way there. It's kind of like... <laughs> That's the only problem. We might peak too soon. <laughs> anyway, I think uh, it's going to be all right. Yeah, I'll see you there, Giles. All um, right. Yeah, thank you so much, mate. You take care. Yeah, stay safe. Ciao, ciao. Massive thanks to Giles for his time. Always lovely to chat to him. For me, my hopes for the future of festivals, just that they come back next year, I'm crossing everything. So that's nearly it for the first episode of Play Next, brought to you by myself, Edith Bowman and BMW. I hope you like what you've heard. We have got plenty more new bands, interviews and conversations over the coming weeks. I'm going to leave you for now, though, with a track that's been playing on loop since I first heard it. It's from a Dublin four-piece called Pillow Queens and they, just like the rest of us, should have been enjoying festival life this summer. They were due to perform at South by Southwest and they had some UK and Irish dates lined up too. They didn't happen. So here's the next best thing. You getting to hear this brilliant new track from Pillow Queens. This is Holy Show. I'm still a baby If you're still waiting outside Got your eyes and cheeks in front of me Filling the space between my thoughts I roll you up and crack you open We look like a couple of teens Just hanging back in holy ghost And apologizing Spare me up.
was Pillow Queens and Holy Show. There is so much to love about that track. The layered voices, the build of the guitars. It sounds massive. I've put that top of my list to see at a festival or just live, to be honest. Anywhere soon, please. Anywhere soon, please. Uh, Listen, thank you so much for listening. If you hit subscribe now, I'll be back in your ears next week without you having to lift a finger. And if you have enjoyed this, please do rate and review us so other people get to hear about the show and to share in the music. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.